Let's pray and we'll get started with Ephesians. Father, I thank you for everybody here and we ask, Lord, that your spirit would make alive your words to our soul. Lord, that you would give us insight and inspire us to live in a way that you've called us to live. And I pray that it would be a fruitful time for everyone here, Lord. I pray for those who aren't here, who are on vacation, who are away, who are unable to make it for whatever reason. Lord, may your blessings be on them. And may you continue to develop Genesis as you see fit, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We are continuing our series in the book. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14. And really, Paul has been trying to give us some contrast here. Remember, as we look at the, the book of Ephesians, what we're getting is Paul's explanation of what it is to be a Christian. I mean, and I think it's an important question to ask ourselves. What does it mean to be Christian? What is that? Remember in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 16, they were first called Christians at Antioch. It wasn't a name that they gave themselves. It was a name that was given to those who believed in Christ by unbelievers, by people who didn't follow Jesus. They named them Christian because they saw them and they saw that they acted like Christ. And the word Christian means little Christ. And so they gave them the term because what they did identified them with who they were. And that's really at the heart of what we're doing. It's who we are more than it is what we do that gives us the identity that we want to establish. And so who we are is connected to the things that we do. And what we do comes out of who we are. The reason we behave this way, the reason we want to conduct ourselves in this way is because of who we are. We are like Christ, Christian. And that's what we want to maintain in this understanding, in this identity. And Paul has been letting us know this in chapter 4, verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. B is something that we are supposed to come from the core of who we are. And then he shifts from this B to how this B personality is going to act. And so he started in chapter 5 with some of the things that we are to do because of who we are. And I don't want us to lose the who we are is the reason we do what we do. Because a lot of times that happens where we lose sight of the reason why we act a certain way is because of the people we are or the new humanity in Christ. And just for a a quick review in chapter 5, verse 3, he started off saying, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Again, these are conducts that aren't supposed to be associated with who we are. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 
For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And last week we talked about this. These are conducive with an attitude. It's not just about the behavior, it's about where the behavior is born. We talked about why is greed connected with the sexual immorality? Why is it considered idolatry? Because they are taking our heart to a place that is away from God and away from the character that God wants us to have. In verse 7, he says, Therefore do not be partners with them. So we are to exclude ourselves from that. And in verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Have you guys ever seen maybe a commercial or an ad in a newspaper or magazine that's like a before and after and you're a little bit skeptical? You know, it's like, okay, I don't know if that really is the same person because they don't maybe show the face. They just show from the neck down. It's like, wow, he's got a six pack now, but his skin's a lot darker too. He's tan and I I don't know. And some of them you could tell like they're slumped over. They're not smiling. You know, the light is bad on them. And then the next one, they're standing up straight. They've actually said that some of those before and after ads are shot on the same day the pictures, and it's all about how the person postures himself. But we see those things and you wonder, is that legit? And the whole purpose of those ads are to give us a sense that does this product really work? Does it do what it says it's going to do? Does it tone your abs? Does it grow hair on your head? Does it take away love handles. You know, it has usually to do something with that appearance because that's what you're seeing. Will it actually do? And so the idea of here's what it looked like before, here's what it looks like after is supposed to be proof that if you buy our product, if you take this, if you do this, you will get the same results. And really what's happening here is we're getting a before-after description. Before who we were and after who we are, who we're supposed to be. And so when he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them, partners with them, for you were once darkness, that's the before, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Live as children of light. Now notice here the underlining theme of the believers before and after is to see who we are supposed to be. You were once. That was also noted in chapter 2. Throughout chapter 2. In fact, turn there real quick. Chapter 2, verse 2. It says, in which you used to live. In verse 3, it says, all of us also lived among them at one time. There's the before. In verse 11, says, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, that's who you were. Verse 13, he goes on, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And so here is this before 
characteristic and the now what is taking place. The the tension is running throughout chapter 4 of the old person, the old self, the false self we talked about, and the, the new person or what we are now calling the true self because the true self is who we are now as followers of Jesus and being in Jesus. He has given us new life. This is the new. This is the true self. This is who we identify ourselves with. And now Paul explores that tension through a different metaphor. Before it was the old self, the new self. Now he's using darkness and light. And his goal is to help the Ephesians and to help us break free from the former attachments the things, the habits that were a part of that old self. Because when we come to know Jesus, we don't lose our habits. We don't change the things that we do or the things that we're used to doing. You probably still like Mexican food if you liked Mexican food before you were a Christian. You might even like it more because you go out to eat now more with people and so you find better places to eat. You you don't stop liking a certain kind of music or stop wearing certain clothes. They're still part of all the things that you do. And along with some of those things might have been the way you indulged in other areas. Well, I used to like going out partying and getting drunk or getting high and doing those things. And so now I come to Christ and I need to detach myself from some of the habitual way of acting because it's not conducive with the new person that I am. And Paul is trying to help us to understand that there is a dark way of living and now there's the light that we're to walk into. And the word partners there in verse 7, it means to join in with, to be a joiner in the culture, the, the culture of impurity, the culture of greed, the culture of sexual immorality, the, the culture of idolatry, again, setting things up over and above, more important than God. We used to be joined to those things. They were a part of us. That's how it was. And so we have to identify that we don't want to be partners joined with those things anymore. We want to remove ourselves from that. And the worldly things are not as serious as the problem as our attachment to them. And that's an important thing to understand. You see, the drinking is not the problem. It's how attached to drinking you are. It's not the relationships that are a problem. It's how much those relationships have hold on you that can become the problem. Where the relationships take you can become the problem. And so it's the attachment that's really at the focus. That's why he mentions greed. That's why he mentions idolatry. And concerning these things, it's the hold they have on our lives. And so the before, notice it says before you were once darkness. It doesn't say you were once in darkness. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't like you were in darkness and then you came out. You see, if he said it, you were in darkness, it could suggest that we are able to alternate it in and out of the light. No, it was once what identified you it was once your character it was once who you were you were darkness not just in darkness and that took shape in a lot of ways in your life the darkness produced 
the character. Because you were darkness, you did these things. Because you were darkness, you acted this way. A person is darkness when that is all they know. We were the shadow that hid from the light. We didn't want to know truth. We wanted to live in that darkness. But now, notice the same thing. Now you are light. Not you're in the light. You are light. Now here is where we have to ask ourselves, what voices are we listening to? When we come to faith and trust our lives with Jesus, he transforms us, makes us a new creation. And he takes us from the darkness and he puts us in the light. Do you see yourself as light or do you still think you're darkness? Well, I must be darkness because, you know, the other day I got drunk or I must be darkness because the other day I went and you know did something I shouldn't have done so I must be darkness no that's what you were but you're still acting in the habit that you used to act in but you are light and if we don't see that then we're missing the point because point Paul's point here is be this new person you have become. Conduct yourself in the way that is in line with who you really are. That's why earlier he says walk in this way. That way we are new. Light people, logically infer the word people, who are in the Lord. The people who are in the light are the people who are walking in the Lord. That's what he says there at the end of the verse. Live as children of light. You are light in the Lord. Because we are in Christ, we are now light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so we need to recognize that this is how we live because of who we are. And if you find yourself doing the things that you shouldn't be doing, it's not who you are. It's your attachment to the former way of life. It is attachment or the habit of doing things like you've been doing. And what you need to do is break the habit. And sometimes the habits are hard to break. Maybe it's a physical addiction. Sometimes it's emotional addiction. It's an attachment. Sometimes it's oblivion. I'm blind to those things. I didn't even know some of the things I was doing was in contradiction to who I was as a Christian until later I started finding out through Scripture. Oh, I guess I shouldn't be doing that. I didn't know. And then the Spirit of God made me aware, and so I had to take and make a choice to, to make the difference. Seeing Christian spirituality, doing is inspired and defined by being. Christian spirituality, what we do is defined by who we are by being that person. That's what makes us spiritual. It's who we are. And what we do is defined by the things that we do. And what we do is inspired by who we are. Bless you. 
But the relationship is reciprocal. Doing promotes becoming. They're connected. And that's why it's so important. We can't detach ourselves from the things that we do and think they have no effect on us. Just because no one knows about it doesn't mean it's not affecting you. It's not affecting your conduct with other people. Because then if you're hiding things, oh no, I got to hide those things. It affects your relationship with whoever you're hiding things from. You're ashamed of those things. You can't go to God with confidence because you're ashamed. And so it hinders your prayer. It hinders your, that dynamic of a relationship. I don't want to go with God because I've got this other stuff. I can't go there because he knows about this. And so we need to move into the light so that these things can be exposed. In 1 John 1, it says, verse 5 to 7, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. Walking in the light is what connects us to God and which purifies our life. And so when we stumble, we fall, we we go back to the past, recognize who we are, and this is how we live. We can't be in darkness because God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. Verse 9 and 10, he says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. I love that. Find out what pleases the Lord. Paul is using the metaphor of light here, but what does it signify? That it can be used to represent a a variety of states of condition. You know, throughout the gospel, John talks about light in so many different ways. And short list that he places here, the light is seen. It consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Real simple, isn't it? Here's what walking in the light looks like. It's goodness, righteousness, and And truth, it reminds me of Malachi, God has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Simple. These things are the character that he's trying to build and develop. And so in Paul, we're accustomed to kind of these three things, you know, faith, hope, and love, this little triad. He kind of gives those things and, and the personal attributes are not unrelated to those qualities of light. Faith links to truth. Love links to righteousness. Hope links to goodness. Not only in the present, but in the future. We are connected to God in these ways. And children of light are good people who live right by others and are true to God and themselves. Let me say that again. Children of light are good people who live right by others and are true to God and themselves. That's what a children of the light looks like. And that's where we are in Christ. And so if I find myself in behaving in a way that's not good, I need to address it. I need to change it. So I can do what's good. If I'm living in a way that's not doing right by others, well, I I need to acknowledge it. I need to change it. I I need to make the change in those things. I, I need to live a life that's true to God 
and true to myself because we lie to ourselves. We think everything's okay when it's not. We pretend everything's fine when it's not. We just kind of live numb sometimes because we don't want to change. And sometimes what we really need is that change. And Paul combines metaphors here as he talks about light and goodness Finding out what pleases the Lord, he's going to move into then bearing fruit. The idea of being fruitful. Fruit and light going together. And being Christian is about being a particular kind of person. So that people will look at us and say, they're Christian. Why? Because of how they behave, they're acting like Jesus. We are to be a particular kind of people. Our beliefs mean little to people who are outside of the faith. Our arguments and debates about proving God is right will fall on deaf ears. But what we do can't be argued. A changed life is evidence of God. A a person who cares and who loves will get respect. And now what I say is connected to who I am and it makes a difference. For too long, we've detached ourselves and wanting to win people to Jesus by words. And the words aren't what changes people. It's the light. The light that we live in, the light that we walk in, the light that we are supposed to be. That's what changes people. And so when Jesus would say something like, you are the light of the world, he doesn't mean you have all the answers. He's saying you're the example of God to these people. Why? Because you're good. Because you're truthful. Because you're loving. You're doing what is right. These things all connect you to who God is. In verse 11, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Again, light and now fruit. Expose them. I I think it's interesting. Jesus puts the quality of our lives in the spotlight here. Remember, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Matthew chapter 6. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. John chapter 13. In order to live this way, we'll be trying to learn all these things. Find out what pleases the Lord. Now, we know a lot of what pleases God because it's in Scripture. But he wants us to search for it. He wants us to to try it. The, The word also can mean test, testing to see what those things are. It might be that way in the New King James or the American Standard. I think it says testing instead of try and find out. You know, when you climb a ladder, you test each rung of that ladder to see if it's sure, if it's going to hold you. Every time you put your foot on the ladder, you're finding out, you're testing it. And he's telling us, Find out, test what pleases the Lord. In other words, put yourself into it and find out how it pleases God. 
have you ever done something and after you did it, you just felt like God was smiling at you? I mean, you probably have done the other, right? Where I felt like God was frowning at me, right? But have you ever done something like maybe you just gave some money to a, a person who is in need or helped out in some area and you just felt like God was happy with that? And it's almost like you know it. You're, you're testing. You're, you're finding out what pleases God by doing those things, by putting them into practice. And so we have to try these things out. It would seem that God's will is illuminated by the light, by the testing, by by the doing these things. It helps illuminate those things. And so we can go forward with our decisions and the things that we do discerning God's will and we can test and see what those things are. Later on in verse 17, he's going to say, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do you understand? Because we've put it to a test. We've tried it out. We know it's good. We know it's true. We know it's righteous. We've put it to practice in our lives. And that's what he wants us to do. And so as he says, don't practice, have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. In verses 11 through 13, he stresses the same point, but looking at it kind of from the opposite side of the coin. If it were kind of a liturgical prayer, sometimes sin has two forms. There's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. The things that we do that we shouldn't and the things that we should do, but we didn't. And that is sin. The same it can be true of what is right. There are deeds of righteousness of things that we do, and there are things that we fail to do. And so we need to recognize that we have these deeds of righteousness, what we do, and then what we don't do. Have nothing to do. Don't participate with these things, the fruitless deeds of darkness. We should have nothing to do with those deeds, the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And have nothing to do with it carries a stronger sense of connection even than the partnership did in verse 7. It's to share kind of a common life with. It's to belong to or to be in fellowship. It's to be strongly connected. Sharing is an experience or a pastime that forms a bond. That's why people who go through things like military together or difficult work situations, you develop a bond. You know, they become a band of brothers. Why? Because of what we went through. It it brought us together. And so he's telling us, don't have that kind of bond with the fruitless deeds of darkness. We need to break some of those bonds. Some of those bonds that have been a part of our life need to be detached. And remember, as opposed to the fruit of light, darkness is unfruitful. It doesn't produce anything good. And so we need to break that bond. And he says to rather expose them. 
And that's kind of interesting terminology, expose them, but rather expose them. How? How do we expose the fruitless deeds of darkness? By being light. When you see something, like there's a couple of videos out. In fact, there's quite a few of them I've seen now. You see these people who are pretending to be homeless and they're wanting to see people's response out on the street. I saw one yesterday where this guy just had a sign that said, want to buy alcohol and weed. Not working, I want to buy alcohol and weed and had a jar. And people were walking by and giving the guy money. And then they had a little girl, probably around four years old, laying like she was homeless. Same guy, same place. And then they had a sign, homeless, single parent, don't have work. And no one gave anything to a homeless man with a homeless daughter, but they gave money to a person who just wanted to buy alcohol and weed. Strange. And then the only person who actually gave to the guy with the sign who's homeless, with the little girl, was a woman who was herself homeless. And she says, you need this more than I do. And she gave what she had. You see, that's exposing darkness. Her deed exposed the selfishness of all the other people. So many times it'll be people, someone, they have another one where a guy goes, he's saying he's homeless and he goes up to someone who's eating and goes, hey, I haven't had anything to eat. Do you think you could share something with me? He goes, sorry, man, I can't share. Can't share. And then he goes up to a homeless guy, haven't had anything to eat. Can you share? And the guy's, sure, man, sit down. And he shares with them. What's it doing? It's exposing. It's exposing the hardness to people, the distrust of people, and the selfishness of people. How? By being a light. See, those kinds of examples expose what's true. Our lives expose. So we expose the fruitless deeds of darkness by being light, not by going and condemning people. Okay? Because so many times that's what people want to do. I'll expose your deeds of darkness by telling you what the Bible says and then hitting you over the head with it. That's not how you expose these things. You expose them by being the light. When you expose these things, it changes what we have to do and how we respond to it. Sunlight will kill certain funguses and certain kinds of like things that will grow that shouldn't grow. When you expose the sunlight to it, the ultraviolet rays are invisible, but they do their job in getting rid of mold and certain things. We expose ourselves to the light and it works whether we feel it or not. When we walk in the light, it affects who we are. When we live lives that are light, it exposes the darkness around us. We might not see it, but like that ultraviolet ray that's killing the fungus, it starts to expose it and then it changes it. We expose ourselves to the light and let it do its work in us. And that Paul doesn't mean publicly expose or rebuke the deeds of darkness. He says that even later as he says that they should not even speak about those things. 
When he goes on and he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Don't even talk about it. There's no need to go on and talk about it. Man, if we could learn this, even what happens in our own communities. You know, if someone who is a part of our community struggles and stumbles and falls into a sin, we don't need to talk about it. No one needs to know except the people who are there to bring light to them and help them. I'm really thankful that not everybody in our community knows everything about everyone. We'd be very suspicious people. We'd be like, I don't know about them. I don't know about them. Boy, our leadership. We know, I don't know about those leaders. You know about that? There's certain things that aren't supposed to be talked about. We're not supposed to go on and talk about those things, making more about them. Like in verse thing, 3, he says, such things must not even be named among you. Talking about certain subjects gives life to them. and We don't want to do that. In the New Testament, there are two things that are supposed to be kept secret. Personal prayer, which is too holy to put out on display, and sins that are unholy that should not be spread. So those are two things that we want to keep secret. Our personal prayer life and sin that it would be spread out. We want to change the dynamic. And then verse 13, he goes on and he says, but everything exposed by light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. When I examine some of the things in God's light, I can't go on pretending, you know, that they're not there. If God exposes something in my life, I can't pretend it's not there. I have to deal with it. Corinne and I were talking, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, I think it was, just about how every now and then we'll see things in our parents. And I think she said something about me that is that you're just like your mom in that way, you know. In those ways where you see things and then every now and then you see things in your parents and it's like, oh man, I don't want to be like that, you know. The only way I can stop being like that or something that I don't like is by first being aware of it. See, if I don't want to be the crotchety old man who just becomes bitter and sour in life, then I have to be aware of those times that I become crotchety, bitter, and sour. I have to be able to see them in my life. Otherwise, they go hidden. They're in the dark. If there are things in your life that you don't like, unless you expose them to the light, you'll continue to ignore them. They will go unchecked and they will be unseen. Okay? They become exposed and dealt with like x-ray finding a tumor. And now we know it's there. We couldn't see it before, but now it's been exposed. So now we can go and surgically remove it or hit it with chemotherapy, do whatever is necessary to do it. But that's a lot of times why we avoid the light is because I don't want that to be found out. I'll hold on to my secret. I'll keep living in the darkness. No one has to know. It goes on unexposed and then it never changes. So who do we want to be? Do we want to be people that never change? Or do we want people allow God to change us? 
I don't want to be a crotchety old man. So I have to listen when my wife says, you're being a crotchety old man. I have to, I can't just say, well, so are you. I have to stop and say, okay, well, what is it about me? What's going on? How do I stop doing this? How do I change my behavior so I don't become that? We want to make sure that that's the case. So we're not worrying, trying to just not get caught. Seeing it in light of day may force the change. Jesus said, this is the judgment that the light has come, or John says this about Jesus. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And that's not what we want. And then for this reason, he goes on, and I think this is very interesting in verse 14. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, where does it say that? Paul says, for this reason it says, where does it? It's not a scripture. It was probably a song that they sang. It was probably a psalm that they would sing in the church. This is their song. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. <laughs> he probably pulled that from some again it could have been a, a prayer a hymn but we need to be reminded that we can't sleep through life we need to be aware we need to wake up and i i think it's interesting as we we're talking or as i was reading just about um this passage and finding out that it probably was a song. You know, when you try and find out how music took place, like at the time of Christ, it's very difficult because there isn't a lot of written music. You'll have lyrics, but we don't know the melody. You know, it'd be like someone finding one of our chord charts, you know, in 500 years. And they go back, well, they might know a chord is a G and they might know a chord is a C, but they don't know the melody of the song. It'll be like hidden. You know, the, what does this song sound like? We have no idea. We just have chords. You see, we know the melody, but the only music that they've actually found, ancient music, is all connected to religion. Whether it's pagan, Jewish, Christian because it was such a part of the community at that time. I just thought that was really interesting. And so here is this song or, or psalm that says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, I think I had a wake-up moment Sunday as we were there Sunday morning. And I, you know, I had in mind what we were going to do Sunday and how I was going to try and connect us as a tribe to one another and how he's going to have people stand up and then have people talk and, and encourage one another. And then, you know, I, those people who were sick or the single moms, I knew I wanted them to come up and I wanted that to take place. But I didn't know I would be so affected watching that. Seeing people actually minister to each other in that way it really touched me especially as they came up front and i was just watching and i started seeing some of the people crying 
and I would move them. And afterwards, I had a good cry with a couple of people. You know, afterwards, it was a wake-up moment for me just realizing that God really wants to do something. Because I get discouraged. I don't know, the following Sunday, we had a low turnout. I know it's summer, and I know this turnout was because Jeanette's family was there. You know, we had a big Armenian tribe that was there with us. But sometimes I'll get discouraged and I'll just feel like, well, nothing's happening. It's just we're doing things, but there's nothing really changing. And then Sunday was like, you just need to wake up and see that I want to do something. And it was a wake-up moment for me. It was kind of that wake-up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Sometimes we just need to wake up from these things. We have to see that God is wanting to, to do something. Christian spirituality calls us to resurrection every morning. God is wanting to do something today. God is wanting to do something. And, and so when I wake up and I feel like, oh, it's just a Monday, oh, it's finally you know Friday, whatever it is, I should wake up to resurrection every morning. It should be anticipating what God wants to do. We want to have this praise be a part of our daily life. We do not have to to repeat yesterday's mistakes. I don't have to, to live in the darkness. I don't have to do those things. I am now the light. And I am walking in Christ and allowing that to change me. And it says, and Christ will shine on you. The wording seems a little strange because I kind of expect Paul to say, and the light will shine on you or the light of God will shine on you. But really in the Greek text, Christ comes at the end of the sentence, a surprise ending, but that's the whole point. To be in Christ is to be in the light and to become light. It's all because of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew or in John 9, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And again, in Matthew 5, you now are the light of the world. So we come to Christ. He is the light. And now we are the light. And so we know that in Christ, we stand in the light and the light transforms us. John also tells us that he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God, having been seen or made in God. So we want to live in this light so the deeds that we do can be made known by God. But as we've seen also, coming to the light is a challenge. We need to be willing or perhaps even eager to be enlightened by the truth about ourselves. We have to put off the old self and put on the new self. We have to detach ourselves from the former habits and things that are detrimental. And we have to walk in the goodness, righteousness, and truth of God. We have to be people of the light. And sometimes that's going to be a challenge. Sometimes we don't like that because of what it does and how we have to change. But that's perhaps where our transformation begins, allowing the truth to expose us And then it makes all the difference what we do from there. Once we know the truth about ourselves, we have to respond. When I see people who struggle in addiction, 
a lot of times people who stay in the addiction, they know they have a problem, but they just don't want to acknowledge it as a problem. It's okay, I can live like this. It's okay, I'll live like this. It's okay, I'll live like this. And they keep living in that condition because they never really step into the light and say, no, it's a problem. How many times have we just gone through things and do it, do it, do it, and then all of a sudden, boom, something happens and we're busted and it becomes apparent and now everybody knows and now we're ashamed and now it's a problem. No, it was always a problem. You just ignored it. And now here it's exposed. And so we need to commit ourselves to spending more time in the light of Christ, not just saying prayers, not just reading our Bible, not just coming to church and singing praises, but walking up to the light that shines in all of this, in all of these things, knowing it is God through Jesus that this is done, and that by simply exposing ourselves to it, the light and its healing will actually transform us and change us. Because Christianity, from the very beginning, isn't about what we do. It's about who we are. And who we are can be known by the things we do. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would expose the darkness that is there within us, Lord. And Lord, that we would welcome your light and allow it to transform and to change us, allow it to expose the things that are hidden. And Lord, may we live lives that are in line with who you are. May we walk in the light as you are in the light. And as we do, your light will transform us. It will change us. It will expose and it will heal. It will reveal and it will help us to see you more clearly. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that this is who we are. We don't have to become this if we've opened our hearts to you by faith. It is ours as a gift if we would give our lives to you. Lord, you make us new creations. We might not see it yet, but Lord, that's why we need to walk with you and in your light so that you can continue to the transforming and making us into your own image. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name.